You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Ready Network. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on this gorgeous, gorgeous Monday morning. We hope you had a great and safe and sane weekend. We do appreciate you uh, joining in and starting your week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Ready Network. Uh, we hope, again, you stayed safe, you stayed sane. At least here in New York, we are uh, slowly crushing the coronavirus. First time since March, there was zero coronavirus deaths. So that's obviously a great, great sign, a great uh, show of progress. But obviously, the battle is not over, not anywhere close. So we uh, keep on forging on, keep on fighting on. And hopefully, like I said, you can still get back some sort of normalcy. But also, just as importantly, staying safe, keeping yourself safe, keeping others safe. And uh, enjoying the summer as much as you can because it is rolling on. We were basically halfway through July already. Crazy to think that this summer is just flying by. And really, you know, 2020 feels like, wow, it's, it's gone super slow. It feels like, you know, things that happened in May felt like years ago, let alone just weeks ago. Um, but we are cruising through July already, already halfway through 2020. And like I said, for a year that's dragged on in some cases, it has flown by in others. And we are, at least for me, at least experiencing that uh, through this summer here as we are just moving and a grooving. But we do have a great show for you on this Monday morning. A lot to get to, as on, at least on Thursday's show, we reacted to the Ivy League um, deciding to cancel all full sports, and we discussed what kind of impact that could have on the FBS level with big-time college sports, especially big-time college football. And now at least we have our answer a little bit. Two of the five power conferences, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, decided we were only going to play conference teams meaning those in the Pac-12 will only play teams in the Pac-12. Those in the Big Ten will only play teams in the Big Ten. That is, is, is sort of a last-ditch effort here to try to get some sort of college football played in the fall. We'll discuss what that means. And also going forward, let's just stay positive. You know, If there is a college football season and we get through it and the college football playoff is played, well, if you're only playing conference only, obviously you have five big-time conferences, four playoff spots. Which conference is most likely to get left out of the college football playoff? We'll discuss that. 940, I want to discuss some golf and hit on some, some PGA here because yesterday, you know, just, just another open as golf is working its way back. You had the Workday Charity Open. Not a major, not a big-time tournament, a tournament that really up until a few weeks ago didn't even exist. But yet the biggest story coming out of golf from this past weekend was something that happened off the course. Not on it. We'll discuss what that was and how PGA is really hurting themselves when it comes to marketing. We'll discuss that at 940. Top of the second hour as we were with you here until 11 a.m. Eastern. The franchise deadline, or I should say the deadline for teams to um, negotiate long-term contracts with those players who are on the franchise tag is Wednesday, July 15th. So we won't have another show until that deadline passes. And obviously the biggest name or one of the biggest names that has a franchise tag that a team is trying to get a deal done is Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. And we'll discuss which team, not if a deal will get done or should get done, or how much you want to pay Dak or how much is Dak worth, because that conversation has been had, it's, it's been talked about, it's been hashed out, it's been argued about for weeks and months on end. So I don't want to get into that aspect, but look at it more from the aspect of, and look at it more from the perspective of who needs to sign this long-term deal more. Is it the Cowboys who need a deal done and are more desperate to get a deal done? Or is it Dak Prescott? We'll tell you that again at 10 o'clock Eastern at the top of the second hour. T- uh, 10.20, we'll have 2020 Apocalypse, our second and final play-in edition. To get to the Elite Eight, we will have a battle of the mics. Number seven, uh, Mike Pooley. 
versus number 10, Mike Pasega. If you remember Mike Pasega, he is um, the host of the great Mike Delivers podcast, who last time he was on the show when he was competing, discussed and previewed his podcast that called out his own company, Uber Eats, and kind of revealed the conspiracy that was going on with Uber Eats overcharging restaurants for delivery services, and, and he had a great podcast coming out. So we'll, guess, we'll discuss the fallout from that, if the boss has heard it all, and, um, and we'll have, uh, again, our final play-in for that final Wow, playoff berth, I should say, or really, you know, get into the tournament as we will discuss. Or we will start a week from today. Next Monday, we will have 2020 Apocalypse Elite Eight Round One, and we will get really into the July Madness here for the 2020 Apocalypse Tournament. And we'll finish off with some change and some tangible change actually coming in the NFL. It comes on the news of some breaking news this morning regarding the Washington Redskins. We'll discuss what that is and, and now a, a big step going forward for the Dan Snyder owned team. Down there in D.C. But like I said, I do want to start with football, but I do want to start on the collegiate level. Because really, to be honest, the college football season is on life support. Right? Like I just mentioned in the Open, the Big Ten on Thursday announced and then followed that up by the Pac-12 on Friday. They both announced that they were playing conference-only games. So some big-time non-conference matchups like Ohio State-Oregon canceled, Michigan-Washington canceled, USC-Alabama canceled. And now it's just another domino that falls to where college football, again, is closer and closer on the brink of not happening in the fall. And it could be doom and gloom. It could be really, you know, talking and fretting about, you know, we're really not going to have college football this season. You have the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, over the weekend, um, who if you, you know, if you know, at least by the SEC or if you heard, they are, they are similar to the NFL. They are most similar to the NFL where they are going to try to push on as business as usual, try to get a season no matter what happens. Even Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, said on Saturday um, that the behavior of those constituents in the states where you know the 14 teams reside has made it very difficult to play football in the fall. And he said, quote, the direct reality is not good. It's really the first time we've heard the SEC commissioner come out and really make a dire play to say, listen, the season's on life support. So I think it's pretty easy to go out and say, listen, college football may not happen, probably won't happen, and we can discuss that. But I do want to stay positive. I do kind of want to bring some optimism because I feel like for the most part, a lot of the shows that we've done have been realistic, right? I, I think we're, we're not trying to, you know, tell you something that's not true. We're not trying to give you false hope. I think it's better just to kind of look at things from a realistic perspective. That way, you know, at least when something happens, you're not surprised, maybe disappointed. But it doesn't take you, you know, you're not blindsided by it. It's not surprised by it. Um, and it helps, at least personally me, cope with that a little bit better. But I do want to take this angle from a positive perspective. And that is the fact that, sure, while this is really the last option, right? when you look at the options that college football has to play in the fall, this really is the last one. You really can't do anything else to limit exposure, to try to keep the players as safe as possible without basically canceling the season. But I will say this. The, co- uh, the conference-only schedule, where Big Ten teams will only play Big Ten teams, Pac-12 teams will only play Pac-12 teams. And as we think... Most likely to happen. ACC will play ACC. SEC will only play the SEC. And the Big 12 will only play the Big 12. I think this is the best option to get as many games in as possible and keep the players safe as possible. So I want to take an optimistic route because really, when conferences are going or when conferences announce they're only playing teams within their own conference, this is not about travel. This is not about, you know, Ohio State not now having to go to Oregon or... USC not going to a neutral site to play Alabama. It's not about travel. 
It's about testing protocols. Each conference now has the ability to create and uphold their own testing protocols that every school has to abide by. So no matter if you're Penn State, if you're Nebraska, if you're Rutgers or Maryland, you're in the Big Ten. You have to follow the protocols that are laid out by the Big Ten whenever they decide to make those protocols public and whenever they really put a plan in place. And as we've seen and as we know, college football especially, there is zero uniformity. It's basically every man for himself. The Big Ten does what the Big Ten does. The Pac-12 can do whatever they want. The SEC does whatever they want. The NCAA really has no bearing, no impact on college football. Don't forget, the college football playoff is run by the conferences and ESPN. The NCAA has no say in it at all. So with that lack of uniformity, with that lack of a commissioner, right? Like, as we know, baseball, all the professional sports have a commissioner. Or one guy is a ruling party. He creates the rules, and all these teams have to follow the rules. College football, the Big Ten can do what the Big Ten wants to do. The SEC can do what the SEC wants to do. So each conference, in theory, could have different testing protocols, different ways or different requirements to have players healthy. And guess what? Even if it's a Big Ten team playing a Pac-12 team, that still creates some situations where you are possibly exposing players to where one side is testing more than the other, and you could allow for tests or, or players that are asymptomatic to slip in and get other players on the other team sick. So now, at least, you are requiring every team is going to be on the same playing field no matter what. No matter if you're the ACC, the Big 12, uh, the, Big 12 the Pac-12, the Big 10, the SEC, every team that's going to be playing each other is going to have the same amount of testing done. It's going to be done the same day. It's going to have the same requirements for you to play on Saturday. You will have to pass these certain tests. So I think it brings, you know, it at least allows to weed out as many players that are sick as possible to prevent them from getting on the field. And I personally believe it keeps the players safe as possible. And we're just looking at this from the Power 5 perspective. Don't forget, a lot of these teams play FCS teams, group of five teams, and they pay a lot of these small-time teams to play games. And guess what? These big Power 5 conferences we're talking about, they might not have the same testing protocols, but they all have the same money to test. They all have the budgets to test as much as they, as they need to. For these smaller programs, for these schools that, you know, football, sure, helps pay for a lot of the athletic department, but it's not a moneymaker where they're not packing in 100,000 fans a sta- uh, into a stadium. They can't afford to have the same testing. So in teams like Penn State, I'll use them for example since I'm my alma mater, if you can tell by the polo I'm wearing today. They're supposed to play Kent State. They're supposed to play San Jose State this year. San Jose State and Kent State don't have the same budget to test as often and frequently as a team like Penn State does. So now by playing those games, you're just risking your own team getting sick because the protocols for one team aren't the same as the other. There's no blanket requirements to play. So in theory, these teams, these small teams can test once a week, once every other week, test only when there's symptoms. And there's a greater variance for players who take the field that are asymptomatic and get sick. So to me, it's safer to only play games within your own conference because that way you can ensure every team that takes the field is following some sort of protocol that their conference and their respective conference set up. So I think it's safer from that perspective. Not to mention, less games equals more schedule flexibility. You need to have flexibility now more than ever. So if you're playing eight conference games, nine conference games, even possibly 10 conference games compared to a normal 12-game season, it adds an extra two or three bye weeks 
that you can have to use. If a game gets canceled, you can schedule it later on. You can maybe even wait a week if you have to and move, move the game back to ensure that all the players are, are healthy and coronavirus negative before taking the field. I think a great example is you had Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith, who's been very vocal, very out in front. He's been very optimistic so far um, up to this point in saying we're going to have a college football season. Remember him a few months ago saying we expect you know, Ohio State can have up to 50%, 50% capacity, which is like 50,000 fans, which seemed outrageous at the time. And as we see, you know, that's very, very, very unlikely. But even he said, going to a conference on the schedule, he said, quote, we can hit the pause button and provide a window of opportunity for our student-athletes to not be put at risk. We can move games. There's a flexibility. I can't say that enough. That's significant, end quote. It's about flexibility. It's about having extra weeks available so that if a game does have to get canceled, you can make it up and it's not a lost game. Think about this year. If there was a normal season, or college football, I should say, was going to have a normal season of 12 games, there's only one bye week. So you really only have one shot if a game gets canceled early on to make it up later in the year, not lose that game, especially if it's a big game. Now, at least when, you, when you're playing at the most 10, maybe eight or nine games, depending on the conference, depending on the schedule, you have the flexibility and availability with multiple bye weeks to be extra cautious, cancel a game, push it back a week, push it back a month if you have to, to make sure that the players that are taking the field are healthy and 100% and not sick. Not to mention, this also allows you to push the season back itself. The six-week training camp that was, supposed to, that was mandated, or I should say approved by the NCAA, so any team that is playing has to have a six-week ramp-up period, well, that's supposed to start July 24th. We're 11 days away from that starting. I'm not sure if you look around the landscape right now how many teams are able to have a full training camp starting next Friday. Now allows you, buys your time to, you don't have to start the season on September 5th, on Labor Day weekend. You can push it back two weeks. You can push it back three weeks. Because you're playing less games, it still keeps you on schedule, still keeps you and allows you to keep the season length from September to late November the same, but gives you more flexibility in between to schedule games that you have canceled and, again, ensure that the players taking the field are as healthy and safe as possible. So I'm curious. I'm going to take this from a positive perspective. Conference-only schedules, to me, are the best and really the only way that college football can get played this fall. You're not going to create a bubble for these players. You're going to at least ensure that whatever team takes the field, the testing protocols are going to be the same. They're going to be uniform. So you can try to weed out the virus as much as possible and try to keep players as safe as possible. And not to mention, it gives you more flexibility. If games have to get canceled, they're not completely lost. If Penn State's playing Ohio State, if you have Alabama playing Georgia, which is on the schedule this year, and that has to get canceled early on. It's not a lost game. You can push it back a month, push it back a week, push it back two months, and still play and still have a, you know, still have a real season without losing valuable, valuable games. So let's get your thoughts. Is there any other way to have a college football season? Safely, of course. Is this the best idea? Is there any other idea you have for college football, not only to start the year, but finish the year? To me, this is the best option. This is really the only option that I think college football has. So I'd love to get your thoughts whether it's on Facebook, World Art Sports Radio Network, uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. If you're on the app, write in on the app or on Twitch as well, uh, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Let me know, is this the best way for college football to resume in 2020 and have a season in the fall? Is by conference-only scheduling? I think so. We're going to look at it from a positive perspective here. Stay upbeat and really hope that college football can figure it out and get it done. Uh, so get your thoughts. And we'll also, when we come back, if we do have conference-only scheduling, guess what? So far, there's no plans of expanding the college football playoff 
we're going to have four teams get in, five big-time conferences. Which conference overall, which conference is most likely to get left out of the college football playoff? Let you know what that is on the Morning Boys Ryan Hickey return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the Morning Boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning, boys, with you on this Monday morning. Hopefully everyone had a great weekend, staying safe, and more importantly, or just as importantly, I should say, you are staying sane as, at least in the NFL world, we have do have some breaking news. We'll get to you at the end of the show, but that is that the Washington Redskins, we talked about this on Thursday, that they are reviewing their name. They are um, reviewing um, the implications of, of what Redskins means and the uh, offense that a lot of Native Americans took to that name. And it is official this morning. Dan Snyder has come out and officially retired the Redskins nickname. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But now the uh, the team in Washington, let's just say now, officially nameless at the moment. We're still waiting for some trademarks to go through to reveal the new name. But 2020 season, if it happens, fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood here as we speak. Um, if the season does get happen and it's close to normal, the Washington Redskins will be no more. It'll be a new nickname. I gave you a few nicknames on uh, on Thursday that I liked. We'll go through those again. Um, let's get your thoughts on what Washington should rename their team now that Redskins is officially retired and they're, they're going to make a, a name change within the next few weeks. So we will have a new name for 2020. Let's get your thoughts on what it should be. I'll give you mine. Uh, I have one name that I think is a home run. I honestly don't think it's going to happen. It's not realistic. I think it'll be a home run for the fans. I think it'll be a home run for the organization. We'll see if they do it, but like I said, I have my doubts. But we'll love to get your thoughts um, on what a new name could be. Again, we'll get to that at the end of the show. Um, so if you want to get a new name, um, write in. We'll read it. We'll let you. We'll get to uh, react to it as well as we look forward to seeing what Dan Snyder and uh, the Washington organization does with a new name. Because no pressure, it's going to be pretty important to get the name right. A bad name can really turn a lot of fans off. Really take away a lot of juice. So no pressure. But you got to get it right, Dan Snyder. And as we know, Dan Snyder has done little right so far in his ownership of Washington. So, but we are starting. So we'll get to that. We'll get to um, that at the end of the show at 10:40. I do want to continue with the college football discussion because, as we know, over the weekend or after the show on Thursday, leading into the weekend, I should say, you had the Big Ten come out and announce they're only playing conference games. And then you had the Pac-12 shortly after that follow suit and say the same thing, we're only playing conference games. Inevitable at this point that the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 will also follow suit and also only play conference games. We'll figure out how many games are actually going to play, 8, 9, 10. The schedule is supposed to be sorted out, but for the most part, we know that if there's a college football season in 2020, it will be conferences only. And to me, at least looking at that, because it's more about testing protocols than travel, I mean, think about it. In the Big 10 alone, you're going to have Nebraska flying out to play Rutgers. Team from Nebraska going all the way to New Jersey. Not exactly cutting down on the travel within the conference, if that's the goal. Pac-12 is spread all over the place. Northern California, Southern California, Arizona. Arizona all the way up to Washington and Oregon. So the goal wasn't to cut down on travel. It's not the travel itself. It's the testing protocols to have everyone on the same page. Uniform testing protocols. The Pac-12 can implement their own testing regulations. Obviously, right now, as we know, the West Coast is getting hit harder than some other areas. 
So maybe they have to be more strict about testing, let's say, teams in the Big Ten, right? Iowa, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, Ohio, for the most part, pretty, at this moment, pretty tame with the virus. So this way, at least, you allow the areas that are hit harder to have stricter uh, protocols, stricter testing, stricter requirements, and ensures that the teams taking the field on Saturdays will all be on the same playing field when it comes to knowing who is sick, who is not sick, and hopefully by that by that um, point, keep players as safe as possible. So I think it's the best option. Well, you can look at it, you know, the season is on life support. I think it is the best option to ensure that um, that a season could be played in 2020. I'd love to get your thoughts on do you like this idea? Is it the best idea to keep players safe? Is there another idea out there? Because I'm not that creative. I'm not that bright. I can't lie. Maybe you are more creative than I am, that there's another idea out there that could keep these players even safer and hopefully have some college football in the fall. So get your thoughts. Um, but I do want to continue the conversation at least. But now, if we can get through the season, play nine, ten games, I would believe, I have no inclination not to think, that the college football playoff would be canceled. I mean, if anything, like this is the moneymaker. This is, you know, as we know, all these sports leagues, the playoff is the moneymaker. The NBA is going down Disney, not just because they want to finish the season. Because they have a lot of money on the line to finish the season. A lot of money is tied up in playoff TV broadcasts, TV advertising for the, for the playoffs. That's why they're doing it. College football is the same thing. The college football playoff is a massive, massive moneymaker. So sure, teams are going to take a big hit because they can't have fans in the stands or can't fill up the stadium as much as they normally do. The local area is going to take a hit because not many fans are going to be going to the universities every Saturday. But there's no reason for me to think that if a college football season is attempted and finished, let's say, they are definitely going to have a college football playoff. So let's talk about the playoff. Let's do it. July 13th, let's get crazy. Let's get nuts. Because now more than ever, you're going to have four spots, right? That's not going to change. Five conferences. As you know, this is always the setup, so nothing's different. But now when you're only playing your own conference, there's a lot more factors that go into which team or which conference is most likely to get left out. Usually you play your way out. This year is different. This year it's going to be all about reputation, what you've did in the past. More than, you know, who you, want, who you beat, how the conference stacks up. It's going to be more imperative now that the bottom of these conferences are stronger. Because you have a weak conference, all of a sudden that's going to hurt you in the end. So which team, which conference, I should say, is most likely to get left out of the 2020 season, 2021 actual college football playoff, um, playoff? To me, it's not the Big Ten. It's definitely not the ACC uh, or the SEC. Excuse me. It's definitely not the SEC. ACC is secure. Big 12 is secure, which means, to me, I have a lot of doubts. And I think if there is one conference or there is one conference that's most likely to get left out, it's the Pac-12. And look at it. Let's just, let's just look at it, first of all, from a, a uh, contender perspective. Overall, right? You look at the SEC. How many teams can legitimately contend for a cultural playoff? I think three. I think you put Alabama. I think you put Georgia. And I do think you could put Florida in that mix. I think it would be no shock if Florida makes a run, beats Georgia, beats Alabama, and goes to the cultural playoff. I really like what Florida's doing. They're bringing back Kyle Trask, who's now going to have a full year as a starter. I like, I like what Florida's building. So three teams, legitimately, right now in the preseason. Doesn't mean one can't emerge. Doesn't mean Auburn can't, you know, go on one of their runs where all of a sudden they wake up and are, are force, which, as you know, Auburn's, you know, one of the most hotter cold teams in college football. But 
right now, legitimately, realistically, three teams. Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Go to the Big Ten. I think it's two teams. Ohio State, obviously. And I think Penn State's right in that mix. Penn State and Florida, to me, are, are the same. They play the team that's always stood in front of them. For Florida, it's going to be Georgia. For Penn State, it's going to be Ohio State. Win those games. They're closing the talent gap. Win that game, and you're in. Take care of business the rest of the way, you're in. So I think for the Big Ten, there's two legitimate teams that can get in. Uh, Penn State and Ohio State, three from the SEC. So right there, when you have more than one team, you're obviously your chances increase heavy to make the playoff. All you need is one. And there are three conferences I look at with only one team that can legitimately have a chance to get in. ACC, obviously, it's Clemson. Big 12, Oklahoma. And for me, the Pac-12, that team's Oregon. So now, okay, if you look at it this way, numbers gained, the SEC is guaranteed to get in. Big 10, same thing. Numbers-wise, you have a better chance. So now, for the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, you're relying on one team. All your eggs are in one basket. So, who do, so now it comes down to, when you have three teams for two spots, who do you trust more to get it done? Clemson, shooing. ACC's already covered. Clemson's going to get in. Even if they lose to, let's say, a Notre Dame, possibility happening, depending on how the schedule works out. ACC is a shoe in Clemson's in. Big 12, same thing. Oklahoma has tripped up in the past. Push comes to shove. When they go and get stuff, they made the playoff three times in a row. I think it would be four times in a row. New quarterback, doesn't matter. Lincoln Riley produces offense, produces wins. I don't really see anyone else in the Big 12 giving Oklahoma too much of a scare. I think Oklahoma gets in. So for me, it comes down to not trusting Oregon enough. I don't. I trust Oregon the least out of Clemson and Oklahoma to get the job done. They have a new quarterback. They have a great team, a great roster, especially on the lines. What Mario Cristobal is doing, strengthening the offensive line, strengthening the defensive line. Oregon is going to be a different Oregon team than we're used to under Chip Kelly. They're going to be physical. They're going to punch you in the mouth, and they're going to be power-heavy compared to speed and quickness that we're used to seeing with Marcus Mariota, with DeAnthony Thomas with all these, all these other skilled running backs and receivers that Oregon flourished with when they first really came to prominence under Chip Kelly. So you're breaking in a new quarterback. You have no spring ball to do so. You have no summer to get the reps in. So now whenever they decide to start training camp, it's going to be learn on the fly, trying to get Tyler Shuck, their new quarterback, kind of you know, in the system and learning. To me, that, that's, that's a lot to ask for a new quarterback to get them to the playoff. I trust Oregon. I trust the Pac. I trust the Pac-12. Excuse me, the least to get everything together and make a playoff run. Because guess what? Also, on top of just not you know trusting Oregon more than Oklahoma and Clemson, which I think not, that's not a hot take at all. Not, no one is going to take Oregon to over overtake Oklahoma or Clemson. But on top of that, the Pac-12 absolutely notorious for killing itself. Last year is the perfect example. Uh, whether you want parity in your conference or whether you want a, you know, one dominant team in your conference. For the Pac-12, they've had a lot of parity, which if you're a fan of a team in that league, that's great because it's exciting. Really, any team can win any, any night. And you can go into a season for most of the teams and say, we have a chance to win the Pac-12 North, Pac-12 South, and get to a Pac-12 title game. And last year, speaking of killing itself, is the perfect example of the Pac-12 not getting out of their own way hurting their national reputation, and missing the playoff yet again. Last year, the Pac-12 had two teams that were bound to go to the playoff, Oregon and Utah. 
Second to last week of the season. The weekend right before Thanksgiving. Arizona State at home upsets Oregon. Oregon's second loss. There goes the Ducks' chances of going to the playoff. But it's okay. Because if you're a Pac-12 fan that wants to make the playoff, if you're a Pac-12 fan that you know wants some national notoriety, okay, the Utah, the Utah Utes are taking care of business. They had a slip-up against USC, but other than that, they're winning, they're dominating, they're looking good, they're climbing the rankings. All Utah has to do is beat Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, and Utah is going to the playoff. Instead, what happens? Oregon beats Utah. Oregon dominates Utah. And now, all of a sudden, the Pac-12, yet again, misses out on the playoff, hurts themselves on the national level, and misses out. And you look at the Pac-12 this year, it's tricky. I just talked about the parity in the, in the conference. It is tricky. USC is going to have an electric offense. They're returning their quarterback. They're returning, more importantly, Graham Harrell, their offense coordinator. They're going to be slinging the ball over the yard. They have great receivers. They're going to be a tough out. I love what Arizona State is doing. I love what Herm Edwards is building down there. Like I said, you saw they had a great upset win over Oregon last year. Jane Daniels is going to be a sophomore now. I really do like what Arizona State's building. They're going to be a tough team. Cal is always a tough out. They have a great hard-nosed defense, grinds it out on offense. But they are a very well-coached team, and they are one of those teams that's always pesky no matter what year, no matter what the talent level is. They're a tough out. So it's going to be a tricky year for Oregon to get through this season undefeated to try to have a better resume than either Oklahoma or Clemson. And finally, this is, this is maybe the most important factor. Because you're only playing your own conference. Because the conferences can't, you know, your strength of schedule can't be helped by playing out-of-conference games, playing big out-of-conference games. Your reputation as a conference is going to be relied upon more than ever. And guess what? If you're the Pac-12, that's a major issue. They made the playoff twice in six years. Just twice. Oregon the first year, and you had Washington back in 2016. Well, every other conference has had a lot of success making the playoff. The next closest to making the playoff, least amount is them. Big 10 and Big 12 both have made it four times. So doubles what the Pac-12 has had, let alone the ACC and the SEC making every year. So more than ever, you're going to have conference, you're going to need conference reputation to give maybe a team the benefit of the doubt. To where if it comes down to Oklahoma and Oregon, they're right there neck and neck. Oklahoma, because they've been a playoff team in the past, because the Big 12 has gotten it done. You have to think Oregon, oh, excuse me, Oklahoma will get the nod over Oregon just on reputation alone. So when you look at the cultural playoff, if we can have a season, which conference is most likely to get left out? It's Pac-12, without a doubt. It's not even close, to be honest. Pac-12, by far, is in the biggest trouble when they hear a conference-only schedule in terms of trying to make the playoff. So I'm curious what you, your thoughts are. Is there another conference that's most likely to get left out? Is there a conference that should be more worried than the Pac-12 that if we could finish a college football season, they are most in danger of missing the playoff? Because as we know, really, college football landscape has really changed. Once the playoff was instituted back in 2014, it really has been played for bust. Some of these other New Year's Six Bowls are nice. Depending on where your program is, making a bowl game is nice or making a decent bowl game is nice. But in the end, if you're a big-time program, if you want to get to the top, it really is play for bust. And you're a conference. You want conference respectability. You want to brag that your teams are making the playoff. And sure, if you're a Georgia Tech who's putrid, 
Fear or Virginia that has struggled most of your time in the ACC? Sure, you're not Clemson. But you know what? There is a pride there when you see Clemson going in year in and year out, having success, winning national titles, getting to title games. There is an SEC, I mean, excuse me, an ACC pride there that you do feel despite the fact that you have come nowhere close and have contributed nothing to get into the playoff. And every conference has felt this except the Pac-12. I think they're in most danger for sure. Um, if you disagree, if there's another team on your mind that you think is, uh, is worse, I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, either Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook, uh, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. So we'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, the biggest story from PGA this weekend. Great weekend of golf. A very exciting finish to golf. The biggest story wasn't on the course. I'll tell you what the biggest story was when we come back. It is the morning boys of Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on this Monday morning. 15 minutes from now, the franchise, or the deadline, I should say, for those on the franchise tag to uh, to negotiate a long-term contract is Wednesday. The biggest name, the biggest team that is going to be looked at with this, the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Will a deal get done? More importantly, not it will a deal get done. If a deal will get done, how much should Dak Prescott get? How much is he worth? Who needs to get a deal done more? Is it the quarterback? Is it the player that, as we know in the NFL, every player is one hit away from their career ending and not getting as much money as possible? As you know, the NFL, their contracts are always uh, basically year to year, subject to change. Or is it the team? Are the Cowboys more desperate? Do they need to get a deal done more? We'll discuss in, in 15 minutes or so. And about, you know, at 1020 Eastern, we will have 2020 or Apocalypse. The final, the second and final play-in edition, number seven seed Mike Pooley, number 10 seed Mike Biseglia. I was talking with Biseglia this weekend. As a 10 seed, let's just say bulletin board material is already hung up. He has a massive chip on his shoulder. He is reading the press clippings. He's already seeing, you know, the stories are being said about him as the final t- person in, the final seed. And he, let's just say, he is fired up and ready to go. So we'll see what, uh, what he can bring at 10.20 Eastern. And we'll finish the show with the breaking news that's happened this morning. The Washington Redskins have officially retired their nickname Redskins. Um, they will have a new name at a later date, but they will have a new name for 2020. What is the best name for the Redskins? We did this a little bit on Thursday. Let's get your thoughts. Now that the move is actually official, the name is finally and officially retired. What should Washington call themselves? What nickname is best? For the 2020 season, I have one that I think is not realistic, but I think would really, really get the fans rejuvenated, get them captured. I think they would rally behind the name, bring them back to some good old days. I'll say that. So we'll do that to end the show in just about an hour or so from now. But I do want to get to golf because we don't really talk too much golf on the show. I will be honest. I'm a, I would say a casual golf fan. I am a fan where I watch all the majors. I watch some playoff golf, but it's always a little tough because the playoff golf uh, is always during football season in September and October, so it's a little tougher for me to get into it. 
For the most part, for the summer, I'm in. I love golf. I love the majors. I'll watch Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But outside of that, you know, I'll watch some big-time tournaments, but I'm not locked in every week. I'm a big baseball fan, so I watch a lot of Mets games. So, you know, I split up my time, but for the most part, again, casual golf fan, um, love watching the majors. Other than that, a little harder to get into uh, some of the smaller tournaments um, that go on throughout the summer. But now, obviously, as we are in, if you aren't aware, if you're under a rock for the last four months, a global pandemic, sports has been obviously shut down. It's been on hold. And a few sports have been able to come back recently with some success. One of those is golf. And now, with the options limited, which really only golf and NASCAR, and a little bit of MLS soccer that's returned here, at least on U.S. soil, our options are severely limited. So now, I feel like myself, along with a lot of other casual golf fans, have been watching more golf than ever. And this was the case this weekend. The Workday Charity Open. If you haven't heard of it, no problem. It was created just a few weeks ago. So it's with the John Deere Classic. That John Deere Classic was postponed because of the coronavirus. There's a gap in the schedule. PJ wants to have tournaments now every week to capture that audience that is thirsting for sports, that wants to watch some sort of live event that they don't know the outcome of. So they created the Workday Charity Open, put it together, and had it over this weekend. And unfortunately, like we've seen in the past, you know, like golf, you know, always set, like baseball, always um, subject to the weather forecast. Fortunately, it was being played in Ohio, had a little rain on Sunday. Okay, move the tee times up. So now, as we know, as you're used to, you have later in the afternoon, the best players, the best golfers that are in contention um, to win always tee off late in the afternoon. So really you have the back end, the full afternoon to watch um, the real big players going for the title. But obviously now, because of the rain, they moved the tee times up. So now, all of a sudden, 9 a.m., you're having the best players tee off. Fine. Okay. A little, little bit early. Get a little heads up. Watch a little golf in the morning and, and early afternoon. And you can go with on from your day from there. One issue, though. The tee times was moved up because of the rain. But the main TV coverage never followed it. They didn't adjust their schedule. To the point where now, anyone who wanted to watch the exciting finish to this tournament, was forced to stream it on CBSSports.com. Nowhere to be found on television. And, and I'm, I'm curious, how can this happen? How can golf, how can CBS mess this up? Golf Channel, no problem doing it. So Golf Channel, through their television, they're allowed to broadcast the two hours prior to the main TV coverage. So CBS, on a normal day, Right, If there was no rain, if the tee times were normal, CBS was broadcasting from 3 to 6 on Sunday. And Golf Channel was allowed to broadcast from 1 to 3. Right? They do the two hours, okay, get a lot of, you know, maybe the first few holes from some of the big players. You had Colin Morikawa, you had uh, Justin Thomas. Those two, you know, were fighting for the end. So you can see some early, early holes from them. And then you flip over to the main network, CBS, and finish and watch it and finish it up from there. Golf Channel, no problem switching up their coverage. So instead of going from one to three, they followed the rain delay. They moved it up. So now all of a sudden, 9 to 11 a.m., you can watch live on Golf Channel. And theoretically, at 11 a.m., you could switch over to CBS and watch the conclusion. But CBS never switched over. So instead, as Justin Thomas, as Colin Morikawa, as Victor Hovland, all going back and forth in an epic final round, unless you knew it was CBSSports.com, it was nowhere to be found. So I don't know how this could happen. This isn't, again, I, I've talked about being a casual fan. I understand the Workday Charity Open is not exactly a tournament that gets a lot of casual fans into it. 
but because there's nothing else going on, more and more fans are watching more and more golf. The ratings have only increased since golf returned last month. So it's not like this is a tournament. It's a throwaway tournament. No one really cares anyway. Unless you're a diehard golf fan, no one's going to notice that this happened. This is a big deal. CBS missed a major opportunity to get some ratings to cater to the golf fan and continue to grow the sport. Because guess what CBS had on? Because I was very curious. I, I put it on most of the day when I was at work just to see what they decided to prioritize schedule-wise over a live golf tournament. Of Justin Thomas is a pretty big name. Colin Morikawa, who's young, but he's up and coming and playing really well. So instead of having a great finish and playoff holes, mind you, CBS decided to air what essentially, I couldn't find the name of it, but essentially was Dog Olympics. I mean, I'm watching dogs jump into a pool and they're measuring it like a broad jump at the NFL Combine. I'm watching dogs basically run in and out of cones. So CBS decided to broadcast what essentially was a scouting combine for dogs, which is obviously pre-recorded because there was a lot of fans there, which that's a whole other question of what are you doing with your Saturday? And we decided it's a good idea to go to a scouting combine to watch dogs run in and out of cones as fast as possible, jump into a pool to see how far they can jump. A lot of questions about that. But anyway, CBS decided to air that. And then once that was done, they decided to air a previous um, episode of some bull riding. So scouting combine for dogs and bull riding got the bump and got the edge over a live golf tournament. And instead, CBS decided that three to six, they're broadcasting golf no matter what. So even though the tournament ended before three, they're going to de- tape delay basically and air the tournament, the final round of the tournament on tape delay from three to six, like they were originally scheduled to before the weather got in the way. And to be honest, like th- this took a lot of the enjoyment, a lot of the excitement away from the finish. Social media w- was buzzing. Th- I'd never seen more tweets and-, and more social media interaction about a-, a lesser tournament than I did yesterday. Half of it because it was a great, exciting finish. Half of it was because you couldn't find it. In 2020, I-, I still don't understand how a tape delay could be thought of as a viable option. As we know, in 1980, for the Olympics, when the U.S. upset Russia, that game was broadcast on tape delay. And you could do that in 1980 because there's no social media. There's no updates to your phone. There's no smartphone. So unless you knew somebody that was physically in Lake Placid who called you up and let you know the results, it was pretty easy to shield yourself knowing that the game was played hours earlier and watch on tape delay without knowing the outcome. In today's day and age, it's literally impossible. You can't open up your phone either not get an alert, not open up social media, and not see any tweets about it. You have to literally shut off every single device. Shut off your television, shut off your phone, shut off your computer, and until 3 o'clock, turn it on and not turn on your phone, not turn on your computer, or not change the channel until 6 o'clock until you know what happened. Tape delay is the worst option. Might as well not even air it, honestly. I don't, I don't know. Who, who would sit and wait till 3 o'clock to watch a tape delay version? I don't know many people that would, knowing the outcome or watching it live on CBSSports.com, would then all of a sudden flip to CBS at 3 and rewatch it again. CBS missed an incredible, incredible opportunity to grow the game. Because, so like I said, ever since they returned, average fans are watching more and more than ever. The ratings have gone up more and more than ever. We haven't even had a major tournament yet. 
They should be doing everything possible to continue to capitalize on the hunger for watching live sports. Continue to grow the game so that way once majors do come back, once other sports do return, you'll still have more golf fans. You still expose more fans to say, you know what? Yeah, there's a baseball game on, but you know what? I've been watching this guy, Kyle Moore Coward, last week. He's really great. He's at contention. I'm going to watch some golf today. Golf and, and baseball, it blows my mind how they are so bad at marketing and are in the same boat. They think, that they think by restricting access to their product, by MLB continuing to implement blackout restrictions in local markets, they're making it harder to watch your game, harder to access the action that's going on, that they somehow think that's going to grow the game. I don't get it. And, not to mention, this is not the first time this happened. This happened just a few weeks ago where they could have learned from that mistake and make sure that if this happens again, we have a plan in place to get ready to broadcast as soon as the live event happens. So if the tournament starts at 9 a.m., you're ready by 11 or 12 to broadcast the conclusion. You're going to move up your schedule. You're going to shuffle things around to ensure that the live product comes first, not a scouting combine for dogs or not bull riding. Round three of the Travelers Championship a few weeks ago, um, round the third round on Saturday, same exact thing happened. Rain pushed up the tee times, and CBS decided to air a tape delay from three to six on Saturday. It caught me by surprise. I never this. You know, I tune in. I, I didn't realize um, there was rain in the forecast. It turned on CBS at three o'clock, and they said, "Oh, previously recorded for earlier in the day." So I go, I look up, I see the results. I say, "Okay, these players are are up this high. This player shot really well, and I'll put something else on." I'll tune in tomorrow, see the final, final round. So I, I don't get the mindset or the motivation to continue to not change your programming, to continue to not advertise the sport that you're paying a lot of money to broadcast. And I'm still mind blown that in 2020, with, with basically it being impossible to not find out the outcome of a, of a tournament, of a game, that tape delay is still a viable option in 2020. So I'm curious, if you're a casual golf fan like myself, would you have watched it if it was on TV? If you were scrolling through the channels, you have a stumble on CBS, and you see some golf on that's live, would you watch? Would you have watched the golf tournament yesterday if it was on TV? And are you into golf tournaments that aren't majors? Because I'm curious now. I really want to know how much audience was missed by CBS not airing it live. I went to CBS Sports and I streamed it. But maybe if you weren't aware that there was a rain delay, maybe if you weren't aware of, of where to stream it, you missed out. So I'm curious, would you have watched it if it was on TV yesterday, if it was on main network television? Because if that answer is yes, and a lot of you write in and that answer is yes, CBS, man, they are, I don't know what they're doing, but they are not doing something right. So let's get your thoughts. We'll get some golf talk here going. And when we come back, who needs to sign a long-term deal more. Is it the Dallas Cowboys or is it Dak Prosco? I'll tell you when we come back, it is the Morning Boys with Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the Morning Boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. In just about 20 minutes, we will have the second and final play-in edition of 2020 or Apocalypse, a battle of the mics. Mike P., 
versus Mike B. They are fighting for the last spot in the Elite Eight. And a week from today, July 20th, we will have the first edition of the Elite Eight as we slowly and finally work our way to get a uh, 2020 or Apocalypse playoff. And we will crown a 2020 or Apocalypse champion in a few weeks here. Massive, massive title to earn. A lot of players are fired up. A lot of players are motivated by their seeding, including Mike B., the 10th and final seed in. He's fired up. He has the bulletin board material ready. And we will see if he can have an upset in the first round. We already had one upset in an 8-9 battle. Or I should say a favor. Excuse me. I mix up the seedings there. Rob was number 8. Teddy was number 9. And Rob advanced. So we have one part of the plan already set. We will have another. And we will get our Elite 8 a week from today in 2020 or Apocalypse. Um, but before we get there, I do want to talk about um, Dak Prescott and Dallas Cowboys. Because this discussion has gone on for weeks and months. Ever really since the 2020 season, or 2019 season ended. Are the deal, uh, is the deal going to get done between Dak Prescott and the Cowboys? How much money is Dak going to get? How much is he worth? That's obviously been a lightning rod of a topic. Discuss what Dak Prescott is worth. Is he worth franchise quarterback money? Should he reset the market? Dak is looking to, at least before Patrick Holmes, reset the market, reset the quarterback market, and get above $35 million a year. And so I'm curious because now the deadline for a long-term deal is Wednesday, July 15th, 4 o'clock. So we will have two days. We finally will have an answer one way or another. Either Dak's going to play on the franchise tag or he's going to have a long-term deal and he's going to be in Dallas for a long time. And as we know, so far at least the biggest contention point between the two sides isn't money. It's years. Cowboys going to lock Dak up to a long-term deal. Five, six, seven, eight years. And Dak wants a shorter deal. He wants three or four years so he can become a free agent again in a few years, the salary cap's going to balloon, and he wants to cash in on another payday. And he realizes, especially at the quarterback position, if you can get two big-time contracts compared to one long one, you'll get more money with two big-time short contracts than you will with one long-term deal. So it's going to be about the years. Will the Cowboys pay enough money to make it worth it for Dak to sign a little bit longer? Or will the Cowboys relent, give Dak what he wants, and go to a shorter deal and have him return to free agency in three or four years? So the question, who's going who's to cave first? Who really needs to get this deal done? And to me, normally I feel like you would say the player, right? Normally it would be, especially in the NFL, when nothing's guaranteed, where you can get cut tomorrow, your career is already as short as it is. You should get as much money as you possibly can. If the money's on the table, take it. Not in this case. I think the Cowboys need to get a long-term deal done are more motivated to and more desperate to get a deal done than Dak Prescott is. Because look at the situation. Dak Prescott has done something unprecedented, unprecedented for a player in his position. He's flipped the leverage towards his side. Now, for most players that are on the franchise tag, right, they're not happy about it. Players that are on the franchise tag want a long-term deal. Let's look to Kansas City. Their great defensive tackle, Chris Jones, is very upset that he got franchise tagged. He wants to have a long-term deal. He wants that long-term financial um, protection that he's going to have, you know, get some more money in the, in the long term. And a lot of other players are very upset because they want, they want that big-time contract. They want that guaranteed money. They want that safety, that, that, that um, monetary safety. But Dak Prescott, he looks at the writing on the wall. He sees... What's coming down the pike? 
And if he goes year by year, he's going to make a lot more money than he does if he gets a long-term deal. So the franchise tag he already signed that he's going to play in under this year, unless he signs a long-term deal and renegotiates the money, he's guaranteed to make $31.5 million this year. Then it's going to be a one-year deal. He's going to become a free agent yet again in 2021. And if the Cowboys want to go down this road again and they want to franchise tag him again, guess what? That money's going up. It's going to be $38 million, and that's guaranteed. So the longer Dak Prescott goes unsigned, the more expensive he gets. The floor for the money goes up. And not to mention, other quarterback salaries around him go up. We just saw Patrick Holmes sign a half-billion-dollar contract, right? Dak Prescott's looking at that. He's, you know, licking his chops. But so are other quarterbacks. It's Sean Watson, Lamar Jackson. Those two, those are two other quarterbacks that, you know, for Deshaun Watson could get an extension possibly this year, if not early next year. And Lamar Jackson, if he repeats what he did in 2019, will get a contract extension as well. And if the Cowboys continue to wait, the Texans pay Deshaun Watson, the Ravens pay Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott just gets all the more expensive. That price just keeps on going up and going up and going up. So that's why the leverage is on Dak's side. And it's the rare, rare occasion where the team is more desperate to get a long-term deal done now than the players. Let's look at also, because this is a business, as you know, the NFL especially is a business. If we look at it from both the short-term and long-term perspectives, they both favor the Cowboys getting a deal done now. Short-term, as I mentioned, next year, no matter what happens, if the, fran- if the Cowboys franchise tag Dak Prescott, he'll make $38 million next year. But guess what? That is not taking into account, or that is, I should say, ex- um, excluded from what the salary cap is going to happen. As you know, with the pandemic, we all think the NFL is going to be affected one way or another. And as we already saw, the NFL is already asking players to take a pay cut. They already put one proposal out that had the players taking a 35% pay cut for this year. The owners are going to suffer losses. And with that loss, a revenue means the salary cap is either going to stay the same that is, as it is this year, or it's going to even decrease next year. And that's massive because as we see with the NFL, the revenues just keep on increasing. The salary cap every year continues to go up. So every year, teams account for having more and more space to spend money. Well, now, if the salary cap stays the same for 2021 or even dips down a little bit and gets less than it is this year, no matter what happens, Dak Prescott's getting $38 million next year. That number's locked in. It doesn't go down because the NFL revenue goes down. The franchise tag is an average of the top five highest paid players at the position. So now, not only does Dak Prescott get more expensive next year, the financial flexibility the Cowboys have lessens. So they're going to have less money to spend, and Dak Prescott's going to get more expensive. So the short term, it favors the Cowboys getting a deal done and spreading that money out over a longer term. Not to mention, I'm going to a little bit of longer term perspective here. The TV contracts for the NFL expire in 2022. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Because guess what? The NFL is going to get a boatload of money. Their revenue is going to increase some, in some contracts double. And these are already billion-dollar contracts that are expected to double. So when that happens in 2022, the salary cap is expected to explode. Possibly the salary cap could double. So there's going to be all of a sudden a lot more money now for these owners to spend. So what that means is if you get a deal done now 
if you pay more for Dak Prescott up front right now, in two or three years, that contract is going to be viewed as cheaper because all of a sudden now, you have way more money to spend. It's not going to be taking up as big a percent on the cap as it would in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So sure, you take a short-term hit. You, you pay him I mean, more than you wanted to or give him an extra year more than you wanted to. That contract will get cheaper in two to three years, and that will be a long-term win for the Cowboys. So the short-term favors them getting a deal done and get some financial flexibility in the short-term. In the long term, it favors the Cowboys getting a deal done because that contract will only get cheaper as the more money comes in and floods the, uh, the NFL. And not to mention, let's take a look around the NFL quarterbacking landscape. I'm not the biggest Dak Prescott fan myself. I don't think he can win a Super Bowl. I really don't. I think he's a good franchise quarterback. He's not elite. Nowhere really close to elite. And I don't think he's going to be the quarterback to get the Cowboys to the promised land and get Jerry Jones another Lombardi trophy. But with that said, look around the landscape. Who right now is a better option for the Cowboys? Mitchell Trubisky? Because now you're going to start looking at who's going to be free agent next year. You already have Dak Prescott locked in for this year. Can't get a deal done. You want to sign a free agent instead. You have Andy Dalton on your team. Do you believe Andy Dalton's going to be the answer? Mitchell Trubisky? How about Ryan Fitzpatrick? How about that guy? Tara Taylor? There's not any quarterback on the market that's going to be appealing. Cam Newton, if he has a good year in New England, you think would be re-signed by the Patriots. If he has a bad year, no one wants to touch him with a 10-foot pole. There's really no options out there that the Cowboys could go plug in and get a better option and get a, a, get a better chance to win a Super Bowl right now than Dak Prescott. And not to mention, okay, fine. No quarterbacks out there. No free agents out there. Can't really trade for a franchise guy. How about the draft? Let's look at the draft, right? I mean, you can find young, promising quarterbacks in the draft all the time. You have two promising prospects in Trevor Lawrence and uh, Justin Fields coming out. The issue for the Cowboys is they're too good to tank. They have too good of a roster to get a top draft spot to draft one of these guys. And look at this offense. You have Mark Cooper, you just paid big-time money to. Michael Gobb's a great number two receiver. Zeke Elliott just gave a long-term contract to recently. They have a great offensive line. Defense lost a lot of pieces, but their offense is going to score a lot of points. Cowboys are going to be too good to tank, too good to be in the running for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or whoever comes out maybe in 2021 or 2022. So you're not going to have the opportunity to be in a position to draft one of these franchise-changing young quarterbacks. So look at all of that. The replacement value. The short-term deal that would, that would hurt if they could see the franchise Dak Prescott, that would hurt them in the short term. The long term, that would, that, would, uh, that would help them if they get a deal done. And Dak Prescott flipping the leverage to his side. I look at the Cowboys as being way more desperate to get a deal done than Dak Prescott is. I remember you this tweet that Adam Schefter had this morning. He, he was kind of going along the same lines uh, of a, a deal getting done. And he put up and used a precedent that's already out there that's a great example of why Dak Prescott is in no rush to sign a contract. He's one of the few players in NFL history we've seen that has to get 10 with going year to year that's betting on himself to get a massive payday down the road. 
and has the team that he's playing for desperate to sign him long-term where he's not as into it. So Adam Schefter used the comparison of Kirk Cousins, who really, that's the precedent so far that's been set and kind of laid out the roadmap for Dak Prescott to follow this route of just getting franchise tagged, going year by year, then cashing on a massive deal. Go back to 2016, right? The Redskins were in the same exact boat as the Cowboys. They didn't know what to do with Kirk Cousins. They really liked him, thought he was a really good quarterback, didn't trust him or didn't think he was the guy to ultimately get him over the top. So they went year by year. They franchised him in 2016. Kirk Cousins played as well. They still don't really have their answer if he's a long-term guy or not. They franchised him again in 2017. Can't do it again in 2018 because it's way, way, way too expensive. The, the amount of money jumps up insanely amount in the third year. So they saw that on walk. Kirk Cousins signs that massive deal with the Vikings, all guaranteed. And now you look at it. I have to put this out there. This is really interesting. Most cash earnings by a player from 2016 to 2020. This takes every single NFL player into account. Who's made the most cash in a four-year span from 2016 to 2020? You know who number one in that list is? It's not Tom Brady. Not Russell Wilson. It's not Aaron Rodgers. All of that big-time contracts during that time. It's Kirk Cousins. Because Kirk Cousins went year by year, because he had all that guaranteed money, in the short term for the Redskins, then signed a massive deal short-term deal, but a massive deal with the Vikings, he made the most cash of any single player in the NFL in that four-year span. This is just four years ago. Dak Prescott looks at that and says, I'm in no rush. If he wants the most money, if he wants to finally get some revenge for being one of the lowest-paid players in the NFL for four years, he absolutely is in no rush to get a deal done. Because he just saw what happened to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins bet on himself, and it paid off in the end. Dak Prescott sees a $31.5 he'll make this year. He sees a $30 million next year guaranteed if the Cowboys franchise tag him again. And he says, you're going to have to blow me out of the water with a deal for me to sign it right now. So that's why, to me, the Cowboys, they're in a tough spot. They are desperate. They need this contract to get done by July 15th. Every day, every year that goes by, Dak Prescott gets more and more expensive, and it's harder and harder to keep him in Dallas. So I look at this entire situation. With two days left to negotiate before a deal officially can't get done anymore, who's more desperate to get a deal done? This is the rare case where it's the team, not the player. The Cowboys need this. Jerry Jones need this more than Dak Prescott does. So I'm curious your thoughts. Who, in your mind, needs to have it done, right? We really talk about a team being more desperate to get a deal done compared to a player. Usually, it's always the player. The player is always trying to get as much money, try to give yourself some financial security as much as possible. Script has been flipped. It's the Cowboys. They need to get a deal done. So, I'm curious your thoughts. Should a deal get done? Will, it get, will a deal get done, excuse me? And who is more desperate to get one done? Do the Cowboys need to sign Dak Prescott? Or does Zach Prescott need to sign a deal? This is also contingent on him playing well. That's how he cashes in. So if you think that maybe last year was the best he's going to get, you look at his playoff record, you look at his success in the playoffs, you look at his record and his stats against good defenses compared to bad defenses, maybe he needs to sign a deal before he gets exposed and misses out on a massive payday. So for me, I think it's the Cowboys. I think they are the ones who desperately need to get a deal done before Wednesday, July 15th at 4 o'clock. I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, 
Periscope, Twitch. We'll get your thoughts. And when we come back, 2020 or Apocalypse, the final play-in round, Mike versus Mike. We'll see who makes it to the Elite Eight when the morning boys run and get return right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is playoff time. You can feel it in the air. Big time 2020 or apocalypse matchups coming on here. These ones really count. And we'll see who can get their playoff medal. We already had our, uh, our first playing game go successfully as we had Rob defeat Teddy. Four questions correct to just two questions correct. So he found himself in the Elite Eight. And we have one spot remaining. One spot left to crown and get into the Elite Eight, and we will really have a little July madness going on with 2020 or Apocalypse. It is a battle of the mics. Mike versus Mike. Mike P versus Mike B. Mike P, my guy. Penn State guy, a man who's been on the front lines, fighting the coronavirus since March. We applaud him for all his efforts. And a guy whose golf game, the only thing better than his golf game, I should say, is his golf fit. And that is Mike Pooley. Mike, welcome out to the show. How are you? What's up, Vic? Happy to be back. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us here. And you'll be going against a man in Mike B, who is a, a, a great producer at CBS Sports Radio. But not only that, he's a big foodie, has a, his own food podcast, Mike Delivers Podcast. And the guy, don't call him a foodie, because not only is he not just a foodie, he can put down a lot of meals. He is an eater as well. That is a great Mike Basega. Mike, welcome on. How are you? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thank you very much for, for having me back on. I appreciate it. Fellas, thanks so much for making yourself available, making yourself you know, uh, able to play and then fight on for the playoffs. We do appreciate here. We had a lot of fun having this uh, on Monday, or Thursday, I should say. Now we hope to have a lot of fun on Monday. So in case you need a little refresher, the rules will be simple when you both played uh, a few weeks ago. We'll have five questions. You alternate going back and forth. Mike P. Pooley, since you're the seventh seed, you will answer first for the first, third, and fifth question, and then... Mikey B, since you are the 10th and final seed, I know you use that as a chip on your shoulder. You will go first for the second and fourth question. Not a time thing, so you both have plenty of time to answer. A little strategy involved, you know, the first person that goes, you'll hear their answer. Maybe think about it, maybe change your answer. But the best score out of five will advance to the Elite Eight, punch their ticket, and we will go on, and their journey will continue to get the prize and get first place. And we have overtime. If we have a tie, we do have some overtime rapid questions that we will get to. Um, we'll, we'll tell you that, that, uh, that format if we get there. But, fellas, are you ready for the playoff edition of 2020 Apocalypse? Ready. Let's do it. All right, Pooley, we'll start with you. Number one, a Virginia Karen, quoting Karen, stood guard on the beach preventing beachgoers from entering unless they took off their mask. So is this sure a Virginia woman, or as the term goes around, Karen, was standing guard at a local beach to prevent beachgoers from entering unless they took off their mask? Let's start. Let's go 2020. This sounds like something real. All right. He's going to say this is a real story. Biseglia, what is your thoughts? What are we thinking I'm gonna here? Go, I'm going to go false here, Ryan. I lived in Virginia for seven years, and I'm going to uh, have my fingers crossed that people are doing the right thing and wearing their mask and not being polluted by such a dumb idea. I'm going <laughs> false. See, so you think you have, the, you have your finger on the pulse of the people <laughs> down there in Virginia? 
uh, Hickey, I lived there for seven years. It was an honor to be in Charlottesville, Virginia. There's no beaches there, but they're close to them. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going with false. This is all poo-poo. Well, Basegla, you have the pulse of the people. You are correct. This is a made-up story. Not true. No one is standing guard on the beach preventing beachgoers from entering um, unless they wear a mask. So, Mikey B, Mike Delivers Pod, you're up one to nothing. And with that, you'll go first for this question number two. Are you ready, sir? Okay, I'm ready. Let's do it. A man whose license plate read The Plug was arrested for drug possession after police officers noticed he was hanging flyers around his neighborhood advertising the selling of drugs and directed customers directly to his vehicle. This is a real story, or is this false? That's that's a real story. You're going true 2020. Mike P. Pooley, what are you saying? I also think this is true. All right. That is actually false. That is made Ah. up. There is no one with the license plate named the plug. Pass the ground flyers in a neighborhood advertising his drug-selling business that led to his arrest. Thankfully, I mean, there's a lot of dumb things that happened in 2020. That is not one of them, at least. So you, you, made, you made that up? I did make that up. You like that creativity? Your brain going, man? That's crazy. <laughs> I appreciate it. I honestly just – it just – I got lucky. I'll say that. It came to me. We just kind of <laughs> ran with it. But thankfully, that is false. But Mikey B. Basegla, you are still up one nothing with three yep. questions remaining. Pooley, you will go first for number three. A restaurant owner in Miami decided to change the name of Blackened Wings on the menu to I Can't Breathe Wings, which then prompted an employee to quit. Is that a real story or is that 20? Oh, you know, a uh, real story or apocalypse? Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, hmm. Let's keep riding this train. Let's say it's true again. He's going true, true, 2020, a restaurant owner. Third time is the charm. (laughs) Eventually, I mean, I will say this. They're not all one way or another. He is going to go until he gets it right. 2020. Mike is saying it is true. Besegs, what are you saying? I'm just going to play the uh, the game in the sense of I have the I'm up one, so I'm going to go with the same answer. Just wow. To check the lead because I don't want to take the chance of it being tied. Now I'm not being aggressive. You know, I'm playing kind of a sit back defense with the lead, Hickey. Uh, wow. Also true as well. Just so it, it, inevitably, I'll still be up one <laughs> at the end of this answer. I do have the strategy. That's part of the reason why I wanted to have both of you on at the same time. I think it adds a little, uh, a little intrigue, a little strategic uh, value to the game. Both of you would be correct. This is a true story. Unfortunately, a restaurant owner in Miami did decide to, name, to change the name of Blackened Wings to I Can't Breathe Wings. Did not go over well. An employee quit, like I said, and he had to uh, apologize. Um, but you both are correct. With that, Mikey B, you were up 2-1. to one, So your strategy did pay off. You still have the lead no matter what happened. And you have two to one with two questions to go. Besegs, you will go. A chance here, if you get it right and Pooley gets it wrong, to lock in in advance. So this is wow. a clinching This is a clinching question here. And you will go to the first. Listen, are you ready? Uh, no. I'm a little nervous <laughs> your talk, to be honest. I'm not. Okay, I'll go for it. Let's do it. This is a potential clinch right here. A Massachusetts woman who at the age of 103 defeated the coronavirus and to celebrate decided to crack open an ice-cold Bud Light. Is that true? 2020, a 103-year-old woman not only defeated the coronavirus and celebrated with a classic BL, or is this just made up? No way. Either the age she couldn't do it, or if you're going to celebrate something, celebrate better with something than just a rinky-dink Bud Light in those, you know, in some minds. So are minds. you saying this could be true, and then, like, maybe she had, like, an IPA? and like are, are No, I, I, would, I wouldn't do that. No, no, no minute deeds. So it's either all true or all false. Okay. 
So right, I, I wouldn't. I, I would not. Hey, you idiot! Of course, you, you should have known she's an IPA drinker. No, no, no. So either the whole question will be true, or the whole question gotcha. will be false. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, false. You're gonna go apocalypse. Not true. Pooley, you're the man who you know has the uh, the experience for this. What do you say? <laughs> so going back to the strategy. I think I have. I think I have to go against him. So if we both get it right, he'll just go against me with me going first. So um, he said it's true. So he said it's false. No, uh, Basegui said false. Apocalypse. So I'm gonna say it's true. Mike Pooley, the man on the front lines, is correct. He oh, has tied it up. This is a true story. Glad, though, you know. 103 defeating coronavirus. Cheers to her. Uh, but I'm now pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I saw that story too. So in, in my head. But. Le- all right, good. At least we're tied going to the last one. So, yeah, you are correct. This is an old story, I will admit, but this is one I, that I thought, honestly, you both would get right. But Segway goes false. And now, really, we have a sudden death right now. Wow. Tied up 2-2. Number five here. Overtime is looming. So this is the first possibility of overtime. Pooley, since you were the seventh seed, you were the higher seed, you will go first for number five. Here we go. For the win, Halsey, a, a celebrity, in case you didn't know. I don't know why I just said that. Halsey. Broke her ankle after opening her dishwasher, slipping on a wet floor, and then tripped over said dishwasher door. Is this true? Did she really break her ankle basically tripping over the dishwasher? Or is this not true, made up? Man, I'm not up on my pop culture. Ugh. Oh, this uh, is the guy. Great. I figured, you know, big music man yourself, Halsey, big name. Let's see. I don't know. Halsey's a little out of my realm. We'll see. Um, hmm. Let's go fall. You're going to go apocalypse. Now, Besegs, a lot of strategy here. You can yeah. either go opposite and end it right now. You can, you can mirror his, his, uh, his answer and basically force overtime. Big, big, big answer here for you. What are you thinking? Yeah, my, well, first of all, I remember I sent you a Halsey video months ago. You did. You remember that correctly. You, that's right. Music. I forgot. I like her stuff. You know, you'd think I'd be on top of this. I have no idea if this is made up or not. Um... I haven't seen in the headlines, you know, she was hurt. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say true. I'll take the opposite of false. I'll say true on this, and, and, and we'll just, you know, put all the cards out there. Wow. Both Boy. of you going all in. We will have a winner on the sudden death, and that winner will be the Halsey expert herself, Mike Pasega. It is a true story. Oh, wow. She tripped over the dishwasher, broke her ankle a few <laughs> months ago. Celebrities are just like us. They hurt, get hurt just like we do. Wow. And that is a true story. In walk-off fashion, the first walk-off we've ever had on 2020 Apocalypse, Basegui nice. advances. The 10 seed gets the upset and locks your ticket in to the Elite Eight. How do you feeling? Wow, man. I, you know, I hate to even make the reference here, but I'm like the 99 Knicks as the 8 seed moving <laughs> on. They get the win. Uh, I, I feel good. You know, my gut instinct was it was false. So I was like, let me just play the opposite. And it was true. So uh, wow. I took a risk. And, uh, Mike, it was, it was an honor playing against you. Um, you know, I was just – both of us could have won today. Obviously, you know, I just <laughs> guessed a little bit better. <laughs> no, it was definitely fun, and we'll, we'll have to keep track of this run through. Yes. Pooley, well, we appreciate you playing. I'm sorry we can't give you home or send you home with anything, but we appreciate the effort. Hopefully we'll get on the link soon, man. And uh, we do appreciate you playing and participating. And, uh, and best of luck going forward. Hopefully, if we have another season, you know, a season two of 2020 Apocalypse, you can use this heartbreak 
this, you know, the, this game ender, sort of like the Saints have figured out the last few years. Maybe use it, you know, channel it and make a uh, make a run next year. But we uh, appreciate you coming well, on, buddy. We'll if we're still playing this game next year, we have problems. Well, that's <laughs> that's actually a great point. We are all, <laughs> we're all in a way oh, worse man. position than we are right now. I didn't even think about that. Holy cow. But, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe this is this should be the only season, hopefully. <laughs> Holy smokes. All right, Hank. It was fun, though. Thank you. Pooley, appreciate you, you participating. Mikey B. Besegs, not only we'll talk to you in a little bit, congratulations. You talked a big game about having the uh, the chip on your shoulder. You advance, and now you will be on to the next round. Um, wow. Congratulations. The 10 seed moving out with the upset. Wow. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Um, I'm humbled by this, but I'm still focused, and I'm ready to keep it rolling, and uh, looking forward to hearing about when, when our next game is. We will keep you updated. We will put out the bracket a week from today. Next Monday, we will start the Elite Eight of 2020 Apocalypse. You, sir, get ready for the playoffs. Enjoy it as you hear Mikey B. Still very, very focused on, uh, on the prize at hand. Did not get carried away w- with the moment there. We do appreciate both Mike and Mike joining on. And we congratulate Mike Pesega for getting the upset and advancing to the Elite Eight. When we come back, we'll finish up the show. Some breaking news from the NFL. Washington Redskins, no more. We'll discuss why that is and what name could possibly channel and reinvigorate the fan base more than other. We'll get to that when the morning boys run and return. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Story Network. Oops, maybe not. There we go. Now we'll come back on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Hey, welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. A little excitement, a little flair, a walk-off 2020 or apocalypse winner there as Mike Biseglia defeats Mike Pooley and moves on and punches his ticket into the Elite Eight. And now, folks, we have all eight spots lined up. We will release a bracket, and we will start a week from today, Elite Eight bracket-style March Madness, but in July, July Madness-style, until we crown a 2020 or apocalypse champion. You see the strategy. That's why I'm really excited, and I love the idea uh, of having both competitors on the line at the same time. You hear the strategy both from Biseglia starting, mirror the answers to keep a lead, Mike Pooley going the opposite to ensure that you know at least he has a chance to tie. Um, the strategy there I think really does pay off, and it's a lot of fun to hear. Um, and we do congratulate Biseglia at the 10 seed himself for scoring the first upset of the 2020 or Apocalypse uh, playoffs, and he moves on, punches his ticket to take on the number one seeded Joseph Pidel, the great lawyer himself, or soon-to-be lawyer. That's up there in Albany. So we'll release the bracket. We'll release the times as well. Get the schedule rolled out. And we'll have some fun here over the next few weeks doing 2020 or Apocalypse. And as Pooley hinted at, I've thought about doing a season two. Obviously, we'll see how the landscape goes. But he said, if we're going to have a season two, us as a country, us as a society, we were in big trouble. And he is definitely right about that. So fingers crossed we won't have a season two because there's not enough content to use. But as we know, as you look out, you never know what happens. 2020 has been anything but a normal year. And if there's enough content, we will roll out a season two for sure. But I do want to finish at least uh, the finish of the show with some breaking news that happened earlier this morning. We talked about on Thursday's show on July 3rd, the Redskins finally, after years and years and years of Native Americans calling out the Redskins for their name, it being offensive. If you look up in the dictionary, Redskin, it is by definition a racial slur. 
But the owner, uh, Redskins owner Dan Snyder, has stood by the name forever. And now, finally, because of financial pressure from FedEx, financial pressure from Nike and Bank of America and Pepsi and other advertisers, 11 days ago on July 3rd, Dan Snyder announced that the Redskins are reviewing the name. Consider changing it, look into it, and say, okay, if we find it or if it truly is offensive, we will change it. Earlier this morning, the Redskins put out a notice, and officially, the nickname Redskins has been retired, the logo has been retired, and we will have a new name in Washington this year at some point. It's not going to be retired eventually, not going to be retired, you know, in three, four, five years. It's going to be retired right now. So 2020, that season starts on time, hopefully, or at some point, whenever it does start, we'll have a new nickname for the Washington Club. And I do want to say this, because I want to get into We talked a little bit of the names on Thursday. I want to get back into it, because to be honest, first of all, this is long overdue. But also now, this name is way more important, I think, than you think. This name has to be a hit. The name has to rejuvenate the fan base, has to get the fans bought in. Because right now, the most dangerous thing that's happening with the Redskins isn't their name. Isn't the fans being upset with the name. It's a big problem. It's a big part of it. The fans are just turned off, apathetic, not into it, because they've seen a franchise in Washington led by incompetence, starting with their owner Daniel Snyder since he took over. Daniel Snyder has continued to back up the name, continued to use you know excuses as to why he thinks the name is honoring Native Americans, not making a mockery of it, not using them as a mascot only. And finally, because as we know, you say follow the money. Money changes everything. Well, guess what? Now all of a sudden you have threats of money not coming in anymore. We have the name rights for your stadium and FedEx Field. The FedEx company themselves saying change the name or we're out. Finally, the name is changing. So this is on Dan, Dan Snyder here to get a, the name right. You have to get the name right. Because if not, nothing's going to change. Now, now, I'm not just talking about just social. I'm talking about just getting your fans back into it. Because that's also part of it. So finally relenting. Although, again, he's doing it and he's relenting not for the goodness out of his heart, not because he truly sees the Redskins as a racist slur, but because the money all of a sudden is getting threatened. Change is finally coming, though, nonetheless. And the first step to get a fan base re-energized, to get some more buy-in from the fans, I think to at least try to turn your image around, because so far, Daniel Snyder, because of James Dolan, is not the worst owner in sports. James Dolan sold the Knicks. If James Dolan even just didn't touch the Knicks, he let the people he hired do their jobs, Daniel Snyder by far would be the worst owner in sports. Because of that, because of James Dolan, because of James Dolan's continued success, we'll say, in screwing up the Knicks, in getting front-page headlines for the wrong reasons, Daniel Snyder is not known as the worst owner in sports. He has to change around his image, his image. Because I think a lot of fans aren't going to come back until either there's a new owner, which I don't think is going to happen. They see true change. They really think Daniel Snyder learned. Getting a great name, either changing or making a wrong or right, getting a name that the fans could buy into, to me at least, is a great first step into trying to bring some of these fans back, 
filling up FedEx Field again and re-energize the fan base, get them back in and support a name that they are proud of. Now, a name is supposedly in the works. The name won't be announced today because of trademark issues, but apparently sooner rather than later, we will have a name at some point, again, before the season starts, which is not that far away. The Redskins is retired and no more. So we talked about it on Thursday. Well, I want to kind of bring it back, and if you have any names, um, write it, please write them on Facebook, and we will read them before, uh, before we get out of here, that's for sure. Three names, I think, that few of which can right or wrong, and there's one name, my favorite, I think, that could really get the fan base back into it, get them rejuvenized, get them excited for the direction of Washington. So like I said, I did this on Thursday. Let's, let's repeat here at least. Number three, I think, uh, three names, I think, will go from three to one. Number three, I think you'd either go the Natives, the Washington Natives, or the Washington Americans. This is a real way to right or wrong. The Natives, instead of using Native Americans as a mascot, instead of depicting them as more of just, you know, a mockery almost, using them strictly, again, for a name, right, you can honor them, actually honor them. Not just have the name and then say you're honoring them and just basically ignore them. Natives can bring attention to Native Americans, but in a positive way. Even Ron Rivera, the head coach, of Washington, he told the Washington Post that he hoped the new name could be in place by the start of the 2020 season and revealed he and Dan Snyder both shared a goal of honoring Native American culture and the military with the selection of the new name. Natives can do that. Americans can do that. Us as a country, us as Americans, you can use being in the nation capital, the Washington Americans or the Washington Natives, either or. I think both honor Native Americans, both honor this country, And at least bring the right attention to these groups, not the wrong attention. Not to mention, if you want to stick with the theme of professional sports in Washington, D.C., the Washington Nationals, the Washington Capitals, both play off of being the capital of the United States. I think both can bring some good, again, some good attention by either the Washington Natives or the Washington Americans. So that's number three. Number two, speaking of the military and honoring the military, like Ron Rivera said, I really do like the Red Tails. I really do. Nickname for the Tuskegee Airmen. Again, the first African-American aerial unit that broke the World War II color barrier. A great way to honor a group that was historic. Another way to right or wrong for, again, instead of having a racist slur, a definition of a racist slur as your team uh, nickname and as your logo, you can change the name to honor those who really broke boundaries, who did great work in our country, and open up opportunities for those after them. The Red Tails, I think, one is a, is a cool name. The Washington Red Tails, I think it flows. You still keep the HTTR saying that, you know, a lot of fans like to say the hashtag is popular. Hail to the Redskins, hail to the Red Tails. Flows off the tongue and it rolls and it's not too much, it's not too different than what the name is right now. So I think Red Tails is a great opportunity to, again, to bring some historical reference, to bring some reverence, to a great group who did a lot of a lot of great work. And again, right or wrong, go from a racial slur as a name to something that honors great people in this country. Right or wrong, which I think, I mean, as you heard, as, as Ron Rivera just said, he wants to honor either Native American culture and the military. I should say and, not or, excuse me. 
So he wants to do both. I think the Red Tails is a great example, and either the Natives or Americans are also a great example. So those are the two ways if Dan Snyder and, well, really, Dan Snyder. Ron Rivera will have some input, but at the end of the day, it's going to be up to Dan Snyder, the owner of Washington. I think those are two great ways if he wants to truly right a wrong, to truly honor history in the past and go forward, try to correct the mistakes that he made. I think those are two great options. Now, my favorite, my personal favorite here, number one, here's a name that goes back in history to the actual Washington Redskins team. It's a nickname that came from the 80s and early 90s. You go back to the glory days when they went to four Super Bowls, won three, and that is the Hogs. The nickname of the offensive line, again, in the, in the uh, 80s and early 90s, the glory days of that organization is a great way to honor history, a great way to bring fans back to that good time, to where if you're a you know, your fan in your 40s and your 50s, you hear the Hogs, you get excited again, it brings back good memories, it brings back, more importantly, memories of success. Just think, and just remember, I want to use the uniform reveal example here for a quick second. We discussed and we broke down the uniform reveals for seven new teams that decided to tinker with or change their uniforms completely in the NFL. Some decided to go back to retro. The Chargers did it. The Buccaneers did it. And it looked good. The Browns did it. It brings back old memories. And more importantly, it brings back memories to when the team was good. It brings back memories of the glory days. Buccaneers went back to their late 90s, early 2000s uniforms when they won the Super Bowl with John Gruden. Fans want to remember that time. Fans want to go back to that good time and hope that, hey, we can get there again. It's a small part. Don't get me wrong. It's a very, very small part. But but changing the uniform to go back to those days to bring back memories of those successful years, it helps. It helps build a bridge to hopefully build some success in the future. I think by calling your team the Hogs, by going back to the golden era, when again, they won three Super Bowls and went to four in the 80s and early 90s. The best time period the Redskins ever had in their history. It's a great way to honor the past. It's a great way to get the fans excited. It was, hey, when you hear Hogs, the first thing you think of is, oh, man, that great team, those great offensive line, that was a fun time rooting for the team, you know, for the team as a kid. My childhood growing up watching these teams was great. I hope, I hope my son, I hope my, you know, my family and myself even can now see a second, you know, reiteration, second generation of the Hogs going forward win. And if you're a younger fan, I'm 25, so I was not around when the Redskins were in their heyday. Helps, you know, helps you bring back to history. It shows you, especially if you're a fan of my age and my, uh, uh, my demographic or age range, you don't have many successful memories from Washington. They've been, for the most part, pretty bad. They had a little, you know, little blip with, or with RG3, a little bit of hope there, a little bit of glimmer. But that faded out pretty quick. There's not been many positive times to look back upon if you're a fan under 30 or 35 that you remember that associate well with Washington. So you bring back a little historical reference. For those older fans, you bring back some great memories. I think you can use the name. It's something that the fans will really rally around. The Hogs. Yeah, the Hogs. We are going back. We're going to reinvigorate, rejuvenate our fan base. We're going to go back to those great times when we won three Super Bowls. We went to four. 
we're going to bring back the 80s in the 2020s. I think the Hogs would have immediate, immediate buy-in from those fans that maybe have stopped watching, maybe could have cared less, maybe just wasn't all that into watching a team because they felt hopeless for the team that had no future. So for me, I think the Hogs is the name. I think that's absolutely the direction that Washington and Dan Snyder should go. But we will have a name soon. We will have a name next few weeks, possibly. Again, it has to be has to be here before the season starts. Right now, we have no name. It's just Washington. But we do commend Dan Snyder and Washington's organization. Despite the fact that they're only doing this because of money, despite the fact that if it wasn't for FedEx and Nike and Bank of America and Pepsi and all these other sponsors that threatened to pull their money, if it wasn't for them, we probably wouldn't have this conversation today. Had Ron Rivera a few weeks ago said, a name change would be nice, but now's not the time. All of a sudden, now it's obviously changed his tune. So sure, it took financial pressure. It finally took some big voices with some deep pockets to make a change. But in the end, change is happening. It's good to see change happening for the better. It's good to see the awareness now, at least in our time, that maybe things that we accepted in the past, maybe aren't right, aren't politically correct, are offensive. And it's good to see Washington for a long time. For a lot of those Native Americans that fought against the name, that were upset about the name, that were offended by the name. Good for them that a, a change is actually coming. They no longer have to see the Redskins logo, hear the name anymore. They don't have to be constantly reminded about it. So let's see. I, I hope it's Hogs. To be honest, the Washington Hogs to me just is one that I would, if I was a fan, I'd be jacked up about. I'd be all in on. We'll see what Dan Snyder eventually rolls with. Um, but a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. I and mean, you may not think about it, but a name really, really can get the fans going really try to change the direction of the team, as small as it sounds. I really do believe this. A good name can really get some momentum going just as easily as a bad name can derail it. So the pressure's on. I hope they get it right. And if it's not the Hogs, I hope it's either the Red Tails or the Natives or the Americans in order to really right a wrong, which is what they have to do. So we'll see what happens. It'll be definitely fun to debate and discuss, I'm sure. Um, Hopefully we should get an answer soon. That, uh, that should be the case, again, before 2020 starts, that's for sure. And we will hopefully see a new logo and uh, a little change in the uniform. That's for sure. Always love a good uniform change. Always love a good little, uh, little switcheroo there. So we'll see. We'll definitely break those down whenever we get about the name and the new logo design, that's for sure. But that's going to do it, at least for this edition of The Morning Boys. Appreciate both Mike's, Mike Pasega and Mike Pooley for joining and coming on to play a little 2020 or Apocalypse. The show will be off on Thursday. Have a little family vacation going to Lake George for a few days. We will be back on Monday, a week from today. Lead eight of the apocalypse will start. 2020 apocalypse will start. And we'll have some fun and lead into baseball, which is crazy to think. The next time we're on the air, next Monday, that week we'll have baseball. So we'll definitely break that down. We'll definitely talk and preview the season. Who, uh, who, who could win? Is there any wild cards out there? We'll see what happens. But enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you next Monday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.